Welcome to Quest with Kirk Durston. I'm your host, Sheldon Kotick. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to give us five stars if you like it. If you don't like it, please tell us why. And now, Quest with Kirk Durston. Well, hello, Kirk. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Sheldon. It's nice and sunny today. Well, at least it is speaking two days in the past. Three. Three days in the past. Three. Yeah, three. How about that? It's like back to the future here. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to talk as if I'm in Thursday when, in fact, I'm in Monday. But We we want to be honest with people. Uh, We are going to do this live stream but the it, the stream itself will be live. It will be streaming live from a server somewhere. But uh, yeah, it is pre-recorded. We uh, aren't able to do Thursday. I'm in some. I think I'll be on a plane or something. But we will be in the comments live, and so uh, feel free comment. Tell us uh, tell us how you're doing. Uh, tell us where you're from. All that stuff. Don't forget to like and subscribe, hit the bell to be notified of when future videos are going to come up. And uh, yeah, so uh, today we're going to be talking about did the creator of the universe say why he did it? Uh, So what's the purpose of this whole universe thing? Um, But before we start with that, so I met Starbucks this morning and uh, they told me that because I get my chai tea, um, pretty regularly but more more importantly i get a puppuccino for the dog and uh they were telling me that the starbucks is uh, predicting they will be running out of chai so i don't know why yeah but um well it's not unusual that they run out of stuff we were on a trip on the fall and they had run out of so many things at the starbucks we stopped at up near perry sound ontario that uh, basically uh, they weren't even, the store wasn't open, only the drive-through was. And that way they could sort of tell you, I don't know if you- Up front what they have, what they don't have. Yeah, we got three things. We got three things and you can order one of these three things. <laughs> so like, uh, I may go to a Starbucks a little too often because uh, they know me by name. Usually they can hear my van pulling up because it's loud. Okay. And uh, so they're like, oh, do you want your puppuccino? Is it a venti or a grande today? And so go through all that. But um, I get to the window this morning. She tells me they're running out of chai. But she said, I put one of these boxes aside for you. And so a whole box of the bags and then then some stevia to put in it. (laughs) And uh, I said, but I come here for the puppuccino. And she said, well, do you want a bunch of whipped cream? And... uh, I said, no, it's okay. Well, I can give the dog some at home. But they, the experience, they, uh, I think they love me there. I think that's what's going on there. Well, is they... must, uh, yeah, no, I actually have my own coffee machine here. I usually yeah. start the day with a double espresso. And uh, that just sort of gets me, gets the spark plugs firing. Mm. But uh, so I almost never anymore, I'm at any coffee shops, although... There is a nice one in the village not far from us. And so when I meet people, that's my office away from home type office. I think I met you there once. I think uh, that was a different coffee shop. You and I met, yeah. Coffee shops are my friend Mm. when it comes to people. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So today again, we'll talk about the creator of the universe, why we did it or why he did it. But, um, I want to start out a little bit by talking about worldview and biases. And um, if you spend any time watching the news, it doesn't matter what channel, there's usually a filter, the news comes through. So even though it might be a fact, there's usually some sort of filter that people see that fact through. And uh, it can mean the difference in how it is communicated. And um, so whether the worldview says this is a fact or even deny it's a fact because it doesn't line up with a worldview. Um, it, it's just something we'll, we'll see no matter what channel you watch. Yeah. And it, yeah. as we're, as we're getting into, we're sort of leaving the science 
background a little bit here, and we're getting into more of the historical talk. Um, some of the um, as as we're talking about books and and things now, there's we're, we're going to be leaving the realm of just okay, this is debatable science or or this is provable science. This is uh, being able to be backed up in a lab or not. But now we're starting to talk about, okay, what is what do these books say about what happened in history? And so now everybody's going to come into this with a lens. And so anything, Kirk, you want to share about just the whole idea behind worldviews? And- yeah, I don't think we realize just how much <clears throat> our personal worldview influences uh, everything the way we live, actually. So maybe just to clarify my perspective on worldview, a uh, worldview is is kind of um, your intellectual, or you, the way you see things. You may have thought through some stuff. Um, you may have certain biases, certain um, uh, preferences, and even your own genetic makeup and your personality and stuff. All factors in to um, to uh, kind of. Uh, create this way you look at things that's your worldview it's the way you look at things but there's something i should mention and that there's there's one factor that's common to all of us and that is the culture within which we we grow up within which we live so uh, to illustrate i led several quite a few actually international projects with university students in other countries and we would usually have one or two days uh, before we left the country, before we left Canada, before we entered that other country, where we would train them on things like etiquette, cultural practices, uh, protocol, those sorts of things, and try and get them acclimatized to the culture before they even got there. But what I noticed every time is that the Canadian students that I took to whatever country we were in, uh, tended to automatically evaluate that culture and view that culture through the eyes of their own culture, their own cultural perspective, and they did not even realize it. So they would say, oh, this food is such and such. This is like, I like that. And oh, that isn't that odd, but it was always using their culture as the reference standard, but they didn't realize that. And it's because All of us grow up and we live immersed every day in a culture and it just just changes us. And we have we have we we're not even aware of it. It's like a frog in some water being slowly raised in temperature till it's boiling. And it's kind of like the glasses that we see the world through. And it's just the the culture creates the lenses through which we see the world. And we were not even aware of that. And that that worldview not only influences how we see other cultures, but it influences how we, um, unfortunately, it influences how what kind of a God we will find acceptable, what kind of religion we find acceptable, and we'll even modify our view of God to tailor it to what we find acceptable and what we don't realize is really what culture finds acceptable. Uh, but that raises a huge question. Like, should culture be the st- our culture? Like, why would we ever think that our culture, whatever one we grew up in, just so happens to be the official objective standard of how things should be? That's, that's absurd. So that's the first thing to realize when, we, when we're starting to talk about even things like God, science, politics, philosophy, everything is to realize, wait a sec, I need to second guess everything, the way I see everything, because there is a reality out there, then there's the way my culture likes to see it. And somehow I need to start seeing what real reality is, as opposed to what my culture has trained me to see. I I was once having this conversation. Um, I can't remember if it was Twitter or Facebook or might have been MySpace or something. It was a little while ago. But I had this really, really long conversation that lasted a long time, uh, weeks. I knew their name or what they said their name was and their little bio, and that's it. By the end of the conversation, I had something in my mind of what that person actually looked like and and how they presented themselves 
And then we had a video call. Totally different. Yeah. <laughs> and and so just uh, only knowing a certain amount can really put something in your head that isn't accurate at all. Yeah. And so as we have these conversations, um, those of you that are watching, comment. Tell us where you think we're wrong. Let's have that conversation because we do want to find out what that reality is. What is real? What is fact? What is true? And so um, if you think we're wrong, tell us why. And let's have that conversation. And uh, we think we're right. Um, there's lots of lots of things that we may be wrong about. But uh, our worldview, we, we have an idea of what, we've, what we think is reality. And so um, yeah. the only way you can really... The only way you can really have the um, come to land on what is truth is by looking at everything and saying, does it make sense? What's the accuracy behind this? Yeah, like like when you I, I don't know if I would be so bold as to say. I think I'm right, although I do. I do think I'm right on certain really important stuff. Well, the way I would liken it to is like I got a pair of binoculars right here. And and if I look at something through these binoculars, which because I live in the country, uh, these are often on my desk in case a nice bird shows up or something's interesting down by the river. But when I first put the binoculars up to my eyes, they will tend to be completely out of focus because the last time I looked, it was maybe it's something close by, like a bird on the branch outside the window. So the way I think... I would describe my perspective on reality and perhaps this a lot of us can identify with this is that as you grow older hopefully uh, you you're focusing better hopefully that the all that blurry stuff that didn't make sense when you were younger starts to make more and more sense and um eventually it never does maybe get perfectly flawlessly clear at least I wouldn't say it's that's the case for me at all there's always new things that are still blurry for me but at least there's a lot of sharper things now than there were before but the problem with a cultural uh, perspective that if you don't realize that you're evaluating you're trying to make everything conform to your cultural biases is that you're, you're not actually getting it sharper here you're not actually focusing your binoculars Rather, what's happening is uh, you're taking your you're taking that blur and interpreting it according to your cultural biases, rather than actually sharpening and focusing on reality. You're making that you're trying to make that blur, which is a kind of a representation of reality. But now you're trying to you're trying to interpret that to fit your culture, and there's going to be a problem there because. If I'm walking around with a pair of badly out of focus binoculars, I'm going to be running into things and tripping over stuff because it's not a very good idea of reality. And it's going to be even worse if I'm interpreting that blur to fit some sort of cultural baggage that I, I live within. So um, this is this is worldview. This is the problem of a worldview. And how do we get out of that? How do we? I think one way is like what we're doing here on this live stream is that we, okay, here's the way I see things. Here's my perspective. Now, do you see a problem? Like Sheldon's, like you said, if there we're wrong, let us know. And I would go, I would go, okay, but even if we're not wrong, or even if you don't think we're wrong, you just want us to expand on something. Basically that means focus on something using the binocular analogy, put that in the questions as well. If we're not making sense on something or we, you want one of us to, clarify what we said please put that in the comments because that's one way of trying to figure out what actual reality is is by we all have different blurry views but you put those blurry views together and you might get something a little bit sharper you can filter out some of the interpretations and get down to reality and i i found like you as we've gone through these live streams and i've i've been through bible school i've read lots of books I, i'm learning so much because you're coming at things with a, a lot different perspective than I've come at things in the past. Um, 
And so as you, as we live in this world that we live in, where it's sort of in a blender and, and things are constantly being reevaluated and, and people are coming to different decisions on, on things such as um, like gender and, and race and those kind of things. I had a worldview that was very, very much in a bubble and I've had to open my mind a bit to what other people are going through. And it may not be uh, based on science. It might not be based on what is reality, but there's feelings involved. There's, there's different um, things that people are dealing with that uh, I've never dealt with. And so as we go through this uh, refocusing, um, I, I, I have this, a uh, picture in my mind of um, one of my brother's friends, pretty eccentric guy. He he had this house on um, in I think it was uh, Furry Creek in BC, and out his window he had this picture of a mount, or he had this beautiful view of uh, House Sound and the mountains in the background. And on his window he drew little skiers. Going down the mountain, and depending on where you sat, it looked like the skiers were going down the mountain. But I, I think sometimes our worldview, we start looking at the little skiers, and, and we start thinking that they're real. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we've built up um, some things in our mind that aren't actually real, but because we've, that's all we look at, it is... Yeah. Uh, dangerous it's yeah there's it 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 is a lot of what we have can be dangerous there's something else that's i find interesting about worldviews um and that is the wishful thinking type of worldview um like the skier for example when you talked about the skier there it's almost you can well it would be a reminder of just how much fun it is to be out there. If I was out there right now, downhill skiing, it would be amazing views, cutting down the slopes, uh, fresh air. Um, so there's this, there, there can be an altered perception of reality because of our culture or because of our biases, but there's also a wishful thinking aspect. And I think that wishful thinking aspect is 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 sometimes well worth contemplating because i would argue that we are not just created to exist for a finite amount of time in this mortal world for like 70 years or so i would argue we've been created ultimately for a a vastly vastly more uh, amazing reality and sometimes this wishful thinking that we have inside us some of these cravings for for beauty that we just can't find in this world and for amazing music. And so these are cravings that are actually put there for a purpose to kind of, as a kind of a call, the call of God to maybe a more eternal perspective where there is a more amazing reality out there. But of course that raises the question, is this just wishful thinking or is it actually the call to something some sort of an eternity that's vastly indescribably more beautiful and amazing than this one. That is a question worth, you know, contemplating. Yeah. And, and so I guess what, um, as we, as we jump into the topic for today, the reason I thought it was good to talk about worldview first is I, as we, as we start talking, I, myself and Kirk, as we start talking about our beliefs and, and why we think we, why what we think we uh, believe is true um let, let's all even as we go through this i'm going to ask questions just okay but is this actually solid is this is this fact or is it wishful thinking or is it um well this is what this book says well can we believe the book um is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? Is it a mix? And so uh, I'm going to throw a bunch of questions at Kirk and, and feel free, throw them in the 
chat as well. And uh, hopefully as we uh, go through these live streams, we'll be able to address a lot of, uh, a lot of the questions that people have. And uh, this is a global live stream. So if, if we're talking very much from a Western perspective, and you're living in Ethiopia or Asia, and you um, say, hey, that's not what we believe over here. Even though it might be a, you might attend a Christian church as well. I'd love to hear some of those because we do come at things a lot with a Western mindset because that's how we were trained. And that's the world we lived in and live in. So, um, yeah, fire back at us. Uh, we we want to have this conversation with you. All right, Kirk. Um, did the creator of the universe say why they did it? I think um, I would argue that we know that the creator of the universe has has uh, inter has interacted with human history. He has become a human being, and he has made it very clear what the purpose he he desires for humanity is uh, in other words he he hasn't come out and said this is the following reasons why i created the universe points one two and three it doesn't put it that way like we may want in a as you said sheldon in a western mentality we might want okay nice point form here no but he has made it very clear in a way that i think would communicate with all different kinds of cultures and civilizations so and that's the that's what you would expect god to do if god has stepped into human history to communicate with us interact with us so yes i would say the first thing we need to do is look around and see has to ask the question has the the mind this supernatural mind behind the universe ever stepped into space and time and human history and uh, one of the things we might look for as well, has anybody ever claimed to be God? Has God ever shown up around here? And um, most people don't claim to be God. Uh, that's quite rare. I have only encountered two people in the course of my entire life, in the course of thousands of conversations with university students, only two, who said they were God. But it, it, it was pretty evident within you know a minute or two that they were just trying to yank my chain they were just pulling my leg seriously people seriously saying they were god i i just haven't met them but i think there probably are people out there and they might have some sort of a a psychological disorder we might think if they actually identify as god but they're not god um i don't know it's hard to say in our culture today we have a tendency to say if you identify as something that's that needs to be taken as truth but in the case of god i think it would be hard for people to argue that um that you really are god simply because you identify as god so then we would probably want to ask a couple of questions yeah so and, and like, that, that is a good point you made though in today's culture you can identify as anything you want and the hmm. expectation is people need to respect, people respect that. that yeah respect that and and um and not try and change in some countries would be even illegal to try and change your mind on that. So the polite thing to do, the civil thing to do when you encounter someone who identifies as God, but you're not a hundred percent convinced personally is maybe ask them a few questions. So the questions I would ask, there's basically just one or two. And that is this, why probably just one major question I would ask, why, should I take your statement to be God or why should I take your claim to be God seriously? Why, what can you, you say or do that will cause me to be impressed enough that I will actually start thinking this person isn't merely identifying as God, but I think this person actually is God. What can you do to take me from the one level to the next? And that would be, why should I believe you're telling the truth? So, we can actually use that question then and survey history to see if there's anybody that has shown up that identifies as God and yet would be able to have a, a credible answer, a, an impressive answer to that question, why should we take your claim seriously? And the person that I'd like to put forward as the candidate 
which should come as no surprise if you happen to know already that I'm a Christian philosopher, is that um, is Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus of Nazareth actually claimed numerous times that he was God. So people will say, right, hold it right there. They'll say, where does it say Jesus? Where does it say in the Bible? Jesus said, I am God. Well, it actually doesn't say I am God in the New Testament. And so you would say, okay, then that's, he never actually claimed. No, 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 not so fast. And you got to realize this is where your culture comes in because say in Western culture, uh, up until even recently or even right now, if somebody says, I am God, they're thinking you're claiming to be the Judeo-Christian God. That's what they would think. But in first century Israel, keep in mind, they had been invaded by the Greeks. They had been, they were now uh, under this uh, domination of the Romans. There were Greek gods, there were Roman gods, there were pagan gods, and then there was the Jewish God. The Jewish God, so if you said, I am God, the first question people would ask you is, well, which one? And we actually have a case in the book of Acts, the New Testament, where they thought um, two of the apostles were Greek gods. One was Zeus, and I think the other was, uh, the name escapes me, uh, the, the speaker. So uh, they said, no, 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 we're not those gods. In fact, we're not any kind of God at all. But Jesus says he didn't. So he didn't just say, I am God, because that would have been left. But that would still be pretty ambiguous. Instead, he said he was, I am. Now, I am was the name for a particular, very specific God in the first century. It was, <clears throat> it was the Jewish God, the God who had appeared to Abraham, uh, sorry, to uh, Moses in the burning bush. And so Moses says to, to, the, to God, speaking to him out of the burning bush, he says, who will I say sent me? What's your, you know, like, who are you? What's your name? And God says, uh, tell him that I am has sent you. This will be my memorial name for all generations. I am. But, and Jesus made several claims that he was, I am. He just came right out and said it. And every time he said that, just in case you're wondering if it's just our 21st century interpretation, no, every time he said that, the crowd immediately just says, whoa, blasphemy, like they picked up stones, stone him for claiming to be God. So there was no doubt in the first century mind that he was claiming to be, I am creator of the universe, the one who transcends time. Okay, so, so that's the uh, um, can we define what a God is? Because I, I think there's a... Uh, even in, in this conversation, I'm thinking of people that didn't grow up in a religious um, space. They might have gone to purely uh, public schools. They might have studied Egyptian pharaohs that claimed to be gods. They, they, they may have uh, studied the Romans and, and, or more the Greeks. And they might have a perspective of what a god is, almost like a Marvel comic. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So can we say what – how would you define what a yeah. god is? Maybe not the Christian god at this point, yeah. but just what is a god? Yeah, that's well, a very good question, Sheldon. we got to start real general when we're going to try and talk about what is a god because I find today in my conversations is that the concept of god has become very vague, very vague. So – at its most vaguest, most general understanding of, and you look, and I'm looking back at the Egyptian gods, the Greek gods. Some of these gods seem to be very human. That is, they they were jealous. They fought amongst themselves. They, you know, they chased women, whatever. Uh, but there was one thing that distinguished them from humans: is that, at the very least, they had some sort of a supernatural quality about them now uh sometimes you would get people like caesars or or um pharaohs who would in some sense claim to be a god of some description but there's a difference between and that's a case of a human being claiming to be some sort of god that is there's something supernatural or they've got a god you know as one of their ancestors or whatever that's just a claim but when we're trying to define God, what are we really 
trying to talk about and that's just very broad a sense it would be a being with some aspect of supernatural with some sort of a supernatural attribute about this being that's the broadest broadest thing so that distinguishes a general god from just a normal human being and so any human being including pharaoh caesar or some university student who claims to be god would have at the very least to establish that there's something supernatural about them that's not common to humanity but then there's a narrow the definition down a bit and then there's this general more uh, general view of of god that's a little more has a few more qualities about it and that is some sort of supernatural creator of everything and so you will see this supernatural creator of everything this concept this very general notion of god come up in many different religions many different societies and cultures throughout history around the world it's not necessarily any particular religion for example it would be compatible with islam with christianity with judaism and um say with some of the first nations religions where there is this ultimate creator uh we still haven't narrowed we've narrowed it down a little bit but we haven't really we're making some progress here but that's this that's the and and then you get to philosophy modern day academic philosophy and basically god is defined as having just three not maybe not just three but at least three attributes all-powerful all-knowing and perfectly good that's a secular academic definition of god and it obviously comes out of the judeo-christian uh, notion of god uh, that's simply because the universities where philosophy flourished in europe and in north america were primarily influenced by uh, judeo-christianity as far as the concept of god so the reason i use the title creator um in in uh for this live stream is uh uh, would you say that every culture has a creator of some sort in their religious um, background in, in their worldview? I would he- I would I would hesitate to say that simply because even within particular religions like Hinduism and Buddhism, there are quite a spectrum of beliefs. Um, I am not 100% sure that all Hindus would say there was a creator, uh, but rather this sort of world soul that has always existed type of thing. Um, but on the other hand, um, I think most religions would say even if there is, well, I, I just I, I would just be very reluctant mm-hmm. to speak for all religions and all cultures. Um, and some cultures probably don't think in terms of of a creator so much as maybe, like I said, this world soul within which ultimately we want to lose our individuality, like a drop of water into an ocean type of thing. That's maybe more of a Hindu aspect perspective of things. Okay. And then, um, so as we look at, as we look at our definition that we're, we're going with, with God now, like start, starting at this point in the stream, what is, are we going with the philosophy definition or are we going more on a, a step back where it, it's just some sort of supernatural? Okay. Yeah. We, up to this point, we looked at what is the origin of nature and we, we logic dictates that the origin of nature has to be not natural. Okay. So right off the bat, we're talking about a creator, a creator, not just some sort of a human like, figure with some sort of supernatural we have we haven't even touched on that what we've done is logically derive that there has to be a supernatural origin and foundation for nature nature cannot bring itself into existence has to be something non-natural and the word we use for that is supernatural so we have a supernatural foundation for the world and we also in in previous uh, live streams we talked about how the universe appears to be incredibly fine-tuned to support life so they're that seems to be the purpose of the universe. And so what that suggests is that the supernatural origin of the universe actually has a purpose for it, which now suggests that this creator of the universe is, is not just some 
vague supernatural force, but actually has a mind capable of forming a purpose and designing the universe accordingly. So we're now talking about a what we might call a personal agent. We're talking about a being here, not just some sort of amorphous supernatural force. So we're, we are talking about a creator in the general sense. We haven't nailed it down to any particular religion's view of, of the creator, but we have nailed it down logically, logically up to this point that there is a creator out there who is supernatural, eternal, that is timeless and uncaused, and, has, and is a, a rational agent, is a, is, a, is a mind, a super mind, some sort of a personal being. So we're very much zeroing in this uh, this kind of a probably a monotheistic view of of God, which would be compatible with Islam, with Christianity, with Judaism, and I think uh, let's say some of the First Nations religions and probably some of the other ones. But um, that's still a general thing. And now what we're trying to do is narrow it down further. Okay, has this super has the supernatural cause universe ever stepped into human history? Because now that's really going to help us narrow things down. But as far as the philosophical, all-powerful, perfectly good, and um, and uh, all-knowing, we haven't really proved that or even given an argument for it thus far. That would be a little bit further down the road. Although the all-powerful bit is... Um, Whatever it was that created the laws of physics and the universe and everything else must be pretty impressive as far as its ability to do things. Now, um, I know we, we want to get into did they come to Earth and did they make themselves known? A step back from that. So we've got the supernatural creator. They could have just created everything, just thrown it out there just to see what happens, sort of like, an artistic um, thing or they actually want to be involved. Is that something you go into now or is that something we go into after we um, show, show some of the proofs for that person came to earth? Well, I don't, I, I think we can actually uh, conclude thus far that it wasn't just a matter of, well, first of all, let's let's address the whether there's a bunch of them out there or just one. Okay, like do we talk about this creator in terms of they or it or or what? Um, and really, we're not in a very good position to know just off the top of our head how many of supernatural superminds are out there. But when we think about it philosophically and using a principle called Occam's Razor. And Occam's razor says the simplest solution that does the job is, is the better one to go with. That's the one we probably should go with rather than some. So you don't actually need a whole pile of super intellect gods, creators out there. You only need one. One will do the job. In fact, um, one could argue that if there was a bunch of them out there, we might see, and they were all different, we might see some sort of conflict conflict going on in the in this physical world we might see some sort of signs of that which we don't um there's nothing it doesn't there's nothing here that indicates there actually is more than one let's put it that way there's no evidence that there is more than one occam's razor says one is all you need and uh, if they are all perfectly the same and think the same then there's no point in saying there's a bunch of them you could just say there's just one um now, when we're talking about the, the, the general Christian God, there's some discussion of whether what a trinity is, and that, that's another topic we'll cover sometime. But at this point, we'll just go with one God, one creator for the universe. And was it done, just let's throw it out there and see what's happened, or was it, we got a point? And I think we've established that there does seem to be a point to the universe, given that it seems to be incredibly fine-tuned to support life. So it's not just some like artistic thing and let's just see what happens. There's another point with the let's just see what happens theory of, of the creator. And that is we already established that the creator, if the creator is going to be the cause of time itself, then the creator cannot depend on time for its own existence. 
In other words, it has to be timeless. So from the creator's perspective, let's see what happens is not, that's, that doesn't work. It's, it's kind of like that employee, you're smuggling time into the, the realm where the creator dwells so that it has to elapse so he can find out what happens. But if the creator transcends time, then what's going to happen from the creator's perspective is happening. It's like there's no past or future or present. It's all in the timeless now, so to speak. So we can rule it out from that perspective. We can rule it out from the perspective that the, there seems to be a point to the universe. So we we then have to figure out what is the point of this, this creator. And we're going to be totally in the dark. We're just going to be totally guessing unless the creator somehow lets us know. That's where I'm suggesting Jesus of Nazareth comes in. Or you can add any other candidate you wish. You know, the, the audience, somebody has some other idea, throw that into the into the chat and we could talk about that as well. But at the end of the day, all the candidates for creator of the universe are going to have to answer the question, why should we believe you're, you're telling the truth when you say you're a God? You, you look like a human being to me. So why should we believe you're telling the truth? And that's where we're kind of looking at with Jesus of Nazareth, because there were two highly unusual warrants for believing that he was telling the truth which I haven't really expanded on yet, but there are two unique in history that no other human has ever accomplished or that applies to no other human being. They're highly unique. So some like Carl Sagan said, well, a highly unusual claim requires highly unusual warrant. People actually argue about that. No, you don't need any more warrant than anything else. It's either you don't test it, if it's verified, if it's falsified, you need to go with it. And it's only highly unusual because your own preconceptions and your own cultural glasses so to speak you see but uh but i can go with carl sagan on this one and i'll say okay you, you want highly unusual warrant for the belief that jesus was telling the truth when he said he is i am creator of the universe transcends time able to raise people up from the dead at the end of human history and all these amazing claims you want some warrant for that okay we've got two highly unusual lines of warrant that are unique in human history before we go into that the when God said, "I am," in the at the burning bush, what is it that uh, gave? I'm just trying to frame this question because I I think if you look at that statement. And you go back a little bit further and you and you have God walking in the garden with Adam and, and Adam and Eve, there is a a space where Jesus of Nazareth uh, he's validating his existence based on something that had already happened where God was already engaged with humanity. So why is it Jesus of Nazareth um, and not that initial God and humanity? That's the proof here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's a good question, Sheldon, because anybody could come along and say, hey, I am the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Um, if they wanted to make that claim, anybody could actually make the claim. And so when Jesus comes along and says, I am, um, their people are thinking about the God of the universe, the creator, the one who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, the one, you know, that's who they're thinking of. And now here's Jesus and he's saying he's, I am, and they didn't believe him. I mean, the average person right there. They took up stones to kill him. So they had the same question in their mind as you've just raised. Why should this fellow in, in the first century AD um, be the same one who's creator of the universe? They looked at him and said, well, hey, we know, we know his family. We know his brothers and sisters. Uh, there's some, well, they knew there was something different about him because he could do the, all these miracles. And, the, and there's lots of testimony of these miracles that 
in his historical record towards the end of the first and into the second century. But uh, Jesus didn't seem to think the miracles were any great shakes. He says, anybody can do this stuff. He says, like, you, if you had faith like a mustard seed, he said to his followers, you could say that mulberry tree over there, be uprooted and be planted in that in the sea, say the Sea of Galilee, for example, and it would be done. He said, you can do, humans can do absolutely jaw-dropping, incredible things. Anybody with a faith is a grain of mustard seed. But So he says, um, but there is one thing that people can't do, and that is raise themselves back to life after being dead for a few days. Um, and that's well dead. We're not talking about just in a coma here. We're talking about having been crucified and now being you know, basically preserved and wrapped up and, and um, now coming back to life as the Lord of the universe, so to speak. That's impressive. And we're, we'll get into some of that. Uh, in a couple live streams, we, we have a special guest coming on. Um, so that's the proof. The resurrection, uh, as we call it in Christianity, is the proof that, or the resurrection of Jesus specifically, is the proof that Jesus was, I am. Yeah, although I hesitate to call it, uh, as a philosopher, I always hesitate, and even a scientist too. In philosophy and in science, we don't talk about proofs. You can talk about proofs in math. You can talk about proofs in logic if it's uh, if the right circumstances. I would rather, but in real life, it's what we would prefer to say, this is evidence or this is an argument for. This is, and in fact, I would like to argue that the evidence and the arguments in favor of Jesus being who he claimed to be are so strong that it's the most rational position to take. So you might have five options on the table and you say, you know, it's possible that this would be Maybe this is over here. Maybe he was just a guy who could do a magician's tricks, or that was option number one. Option number two is maybe he didn't actually die, you know, and somehow resuscitated. Option number three is he actually is who he claimed he was. And you could assign probabilities to each of these options, given what evidence is out there and the logical arguments. And what I would like to argue is that the probability that he is who he claimed he was is 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 higher than any of the other options. And then at some point, we have to decide, okay, I'm gonna go with one of the options. Even though it's not 100% provable in, in any of their cases, I'm gonna go with one of those options. I think the most rational thing is to say that he is who he claimed he was, but I'm gonna go with that. And that actually, because it's not a proof, because I can't prove that he had literally rose physically from the dead, I can only provide evidence for it, which we will talk about. That's a step of faith. We use faith all the time. For example, I, I was worked for a company developing an experimental aircraft engine. I saw that engine explode three times in a test cell. And if that ever happened on an aircraft wing, probably the plane, there's a good chance it might go down or take the end of the wing off or whatever. So but I have since flown on aircraft that actually have that engine. The engine eventually completed testing, then it went into production, got certified, and now it's used today. I've climbed on those planes, and when I step on that plane, when I'm about to step on, I'll say, oh, hey, that, that's a Dash 8. Uh, I helped develop the en engine for that aircraft. Uh, and I saw that aircraft engine explode on three occasions. Should I get on this airplane? And I do. And the reason that I do, I cannot prove that it's going to get me to the destination. I cannot prove in advance that it's not going to explode. But I know that the rational justification, the probability it's going to do that is so low now because we weeded out those problems in, in testing it that I can tr entrust myself to get on that plane. And I won't know until I get to the destination, of course, but that's an act of faith when I walk on board that aircraft because I know that it's not 100% certain that that engine will get me to my destination, but it's close enough that I can justify putting my faith in that aircraft. Okay, so I'm just looking at my itinerary, and I've got two Dash 8 flights coming up this week. Excellent. So I can, I can have faith that the testing happened <laughs> and... Um, and that there's a pretty good chance I'm going to make it. Yeah, because there's a whole testing process, which happens before the certification testing. So there all this testing has to be done. All the problems got to be 
found and then it's certified. And by the time it's certified, um, I have enough confidence in that engine that I have flown in it, Sheldon. So I can't guarantee that you're going to make it to your destination in the next, as you fly in these two dash eight flights. But I would suggest uh, you, you can, you can put your faith. I would say, put your faith in the aircraft. And if it goes down, my apologies. All right. Well, that's good. I'm glad I have your apologies in advance. Um, yeah, the, uh, the other thing that I have the faith in is the fact that these things have been flying for a long time yeah. and there's a lot of um, uh, the odds are high that I'm going to get mm -hmm. to my place, the place I want to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not just a certification, it's just track record. Yeah. And, and even before the track record comes to exist, that certification is a good evidence that it's probably going to be um going to make it to where you want to go so i remember when the max uh the uh boeing uh 737 maxes were having all uh, all these issues and they were taken out of the sky well i i'd enjoyed flying on those planes those are beautiful planes to fly on um flew a lot on those planes before they were taken out of the sky and i'm like well okay um was a pilot air whatever it is bad training uh there, there were things around it that, okay, uh, people were trying to get around some regulations. Shortcuts. But even in those shortcuts, um, there was still a lot of safety behind it because they had gone through a lot of the certification. They had gone through a lot of the things to, to make it happen. Um, now, okay, so, so Jesus says, I am. He's, uh, we'll get into some of the history or the historical evidence of the resurrection in a future live stream. Why did they do this? Why did Jesus? We'll, we'll say the Trinity just because that's our, our worldview, but why did that, um, why did God create the universe? Did he say? Okay, well, I mean, just to, to summarize it very briefly, Jesus, so the big question is, if Jesus is the creator of the universe and he visited humanity, what was his message? What, what, what did he, what was the point? What was the central message when he was here? Because you can look at that central message and that will tell you what the point of the, the creation of humanity is and perhaps even the universe is. But it'll tell us what the point is, what the purpose of humanity is. And he was very clear on that. Uh, he said, um, it, it, there's a couple of things that all factor in here. First of all, he said that the greatest thing you can ever do and the most highest priority you ought to ever to have is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He also said that it's not just a one-way street. He says he has loved us first from the foundation of the universe. Like, so this has been, it's not just, uh, you know, who am I going to run into and what I love that? No, he has loved us from the foundation of the universe. And this is what, but there is a problem. And the problem is, is that God is, is undescribably, flawlessly, perfect, beautiful, right, just he is absolute perfection and we are not okay we have before we get into that though kirk yeah because we're running out of we're running out of time here and i think that's going to get into a quite a long thread mm -hmm. he said love me because i loved you first from the very creation the foundations of the universe Yes. If that's why, or if that seems to be the reason, it, it seems to me that it's about relationship. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's about relationship. So, for sure. so if, if God, the creator of the universe, has created us to have relationship with him, 
And that is, um, that's why he created these beautiful mountains. That's why he created the stars. That's why he created all of this. It seems to me that he actually wants us in that relationship to enjoy life, to experience the beauty that he's um, put into play. Mm -hmm. And when he was walking with Adam and he's saying, okay, name the animals. He created all these things and then he created humans because he didn't even want the humans having to experience the world without all of those beautiful things. Yeah. Yeah. These things all speak of God. They, he says that his invisible attributes, eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen through what he has made. So you might say, why do we need this massive universe? Well, it's actually a, a way of God communicating to us that he is, he is way bigger than anything we can conceive. It's, it's how, you see, we think in our Western mentality, we, I've heard lots of students say, well, why doesn't God come along and he puts this big billboard on the moon or something? And well, okay, that might be how Western, but that's not how the origin of beauty might speak. And, and here's the interesting thing is, why would we want to love God other than because he loves us? God describes himself as the father of lights from whom every good thing given and every perfect gift comes. That is, he is the origin of music. He is the origin of beauty, the origin of love, the origin of honor, the origin of art. He is the origin of every good thing you can conceive of. It's not just that God is beautiful and he loves us and he's just and he's no. God is the origin of those things. He is beauty personified. He is love personified, honor personified, power personified, music personified. So when you have a being like that and a walks into the room, how, how would that being communicate with us? Well, you would expect that being to communicate in a highly complex way. And that's exactly what he's done. But, but back to my point about relationship and yours, what could possibly be better than to be in relationship with the being who is the origin of every good thing given and every perfect gift. Like we, we will travel all over the place to look at beautiful things. God is the origin of beauty. So what could possibly be better than to know the one who is beauty personified and power personified and music personified? We will go to, we will pay big bucks to go to a, an evening at the orchestra to hear beautiful music, but that beautiful music is only a faint shadow of the one who is the origin of music. And so this is, this is who the creator of the universe is. This is why Jesus came. He wants to bring us into that relationship. And he, there was a problem that he came to deal with, which is why we need to put our faith in him for that relationship. And we can expand on that later. Yeah, we, we're hitting the hour mark. So I just want to leave people with this picture. God creates the universe. He creates nature. He creates humanity. He's in relationship. He, uh, according to Genesis, he's walking with Adam through the garden. He's talking to him. They, they have a relationship. Um, there, there's future stuff that shows that Adam could sense that God was looking at him mm -hmm. and talking to him. And so um, let's, let's end at that picture. The, there's love, love created um, the universe because of love. And so we'll get into uh, what happened in the next episode. Yeah. All right. Excellent stuff. Okay, we'll talk to you. Well, we're going to talk to you in a couple hours, but uh, yeah. see you next week, Kirk. In real life, it'll be a week from now. Yeah. Bye for now.